Welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. It is the Christmas season. Do you know the reason for the season? That's probably a multifaceted question. Do you know the reason for the season? Not only do you intellectually know the reason for the season, but are you in relationship with the reason for the season? A, a poem I found on the internet by an author whose writing name is Wordfish. I have no idea what that means, but here's the poem. I thought it was fitting. Emmanuel, it's called Reason for the Season. Emmanuel, Emmanuel means that God is with us to save our souls and to deliver us from our past sins and oppressions during the trials of faith and temptations into the future, escaping both death and hell to be with our God with whom we shall dwell. Jesus is Emmanuel, God's anointed one, the promised Messiah and God's only son. The fullness of God's goodwill and love manifested by him in his flesh and blood. What wondrous news came to this earth when Jesus came being, came into being by his birth. God's truth and love in mankind now abounds wherever Emmanuel God's gospel is found. Emmanuel, God with us. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read two verses from the book of Matthew. Both in Matthew chapter 1. We'll read verse 23 and then we'll scroll up and read verse 16. Matthew 1, 23 says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son... And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. You'll go back up just a bit in your page, in your Bible, to verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing in respect to the word of God. If you're going to help me preach today, maybe you can give me a practice amen. amen. That sounded fantastic. That sounded good. Seeing all the kids leave for Sunday school, I thought all the energy might have walked out of the room. But no, it's still here. Jesus Christ. He is the reason for the season. For this, this word, Jesus. Did you know there's lots of people that had the name Jesus? Jesus by itself as a name wasn't unique or particular to the son born to Mary. But he became known as Jesus of Nazareth amongst the Jews. Jesus from the little village on the road, you know, the place where, well, nobody's really from Nazareth. He's, he's the only thing that's ever come out of Nazareth. 
to us, he is not Jesus of Nazareth. He is Jesus Christ. The word Christ on the end of the name of Jesus is called an epithet. Any English majors? Good, you can't prove me wrong. Okay. <laughs> no, it's called an epithet. An epithet is a descriptive word or a phrase that expresses the characteristics or quality of a person. We're probably more familiar with epithets related to a doctor, a lawyer, a plumber, a banker, a pastor, a cashier, a maintenance man, a school teacher, truck driver. All of these things are epithet, epithets that talk to and describe the person, the subject. Christ is an epithet of Jesus. So what does it describe? What does it mean? What is the purpose of this epithet? Christ. Well, Jesus is the only one. Jesus of Nazareth is the only one who could have the epithet of Christ. Because Christ means the anointed one. So you could say he is Jesus of Nazareth the anointed one. Putting that on a business card. He is the only one who was anointed to take away the sins of the world. He is the only one who bore and carried the anointing to be the sacrificial lamb slain for all of humanity. He is the only anointed one who come to redeem us and free us and liberate us from the curse of sin. This is why we hold Jesus Christ in such high regard. Because his anointing is the anointing that breaks the yoke of sin. His anointing is anointing that liberates us from addiction. His anointing is the anointing that heals us, spirit, mind, and soul. His anointing is the anointing that makes a difference in our life. Only one, Jesus Christ, has the anointing to complete the work of the gospel. Only one is anointed to die, be buried, and his anointing resurrect him from the tomb and cause him to ascend into heaven back to his glorious throne on high. He is Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. You would have thought someone with such high regard, someone with such powerful anointing, someone with such glory and such majesty, such a king, such a magistrate, such a ruler, someone known as Lord. You would think such would come with trains of angels. The heavens splitting wide open, marching right into earth to announce his purpose and to fulfill the role of redemption. 
But Jesus didn't come in all the regal of a king. He didn't come with trumpeters blasting his arrival to everybody in the entire city. Matter of fact, the first evidence in this world that all the prophetic was true was just one angel talking to a humble little virgin girl named Mary. Hey, Mary, the Holy Ghost is going to move upon you, and you're going to conceive, and you are going to bear a son, and he will save us all from our sins. Oh, on the night of his birth, yes, there was some splendor, but it wasn't for all the world to see. Just a few shepherds seeing the angels that proclaimed. Oh, and there were some wise men that were following a star in the sky. But nobody even really knew about this Jesus being born until the wise men went to the king. And the king said, whoa, 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 there's somebody else. And he began to do his deed of killing all of the firstborn. Only this one named Jesus of Nazareth. The angels proclaimed that he would be not just a baby born, <clears throat> not just a prophet, more than just a great person, more than just someone with charisma and leadership skills. He would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Because of Jesus Christ, there is Christmas. Because of Jesus Christ, there's a reason to celebrate. Because of Jesus Christ, there's a reason for us to rejoice and be thankful in our hearts today. We rejoice because God was manifested in flesh and he came to redeem humanity back to himself. That's the reason for the season. Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, Zealous of good work. God said, I want to redeem humanity. God said, the only way I can redeem humanity is through my own law, which I set in place. Can you believe this? This blows my mind. God says, I will make myself subject to the very laws that I created. God created a law with the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. The law he created was that the remission or the forgiveness of sins, the atonement of sins, was through the shedding of blood. And he said in order, the rituals and the ceremonies, and we've talked about those things on Wednesday night this year, how that lambs were slain and different sacrifices were offered, and it was the blood that, that rolled or atoned their sins ahead for the next year. But God said, I want to perfect the plan. That was all just type and shadow. That was just all examples for the ultimate plan that I want to do. I put that in place. 
the Old Testament, so that I could come and fulfill it and create a New Testament. But how can a God who lives in eternity, how can a God that's beyond our understanding, a God that has no blood, how can He redeem humanity? He redeems humanity by becoming subject to His own law. God said, I'm going to manifest myself in the earth, subject to the laws of creation, and subject to the laws of the ceremonial law that I put in place. I will create myself a body. I will be manifested in flesh, and then I will have blood, and I will take that blood, and I will shed it, pure and innocent blood, to redeem all mankind. I will become Savior. Jesus Christ. Stop and think about it. God downsized. Maybe, maybe you've considered or thought or know of a family that when all the kids have moved out and it's just mom and dad left in the house, they've said, you know what, we don't need all of this square footage. We're going to downsize. We're going to sell this place and buy something smaller. God downsized. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Who, and the word who here is referring to Jesus Christ. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He downsized. And took upon him the form of a servant. God downsized. And was made in the likeness of man. God downsized. And was found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself. The almighty God of the universe humbled himself. He downsized. And became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. God downsized. The God who had no responsibility to obedience to anything other than himself. Said, I'll become obedient even to death of the cross. The God who could stand on the mountaintops and cause it to rain fire and thunder and lightning as he gave out the commandments to Moses. Said, I will not come in all of my glory and all of my majesty, but I will humble myself in the fashion of a man, in the likeness of of a man, the God whom we serve, the God whom we give our all to, said, I'll go from being the one who sits on the throne being served to becoming the servant. The God who has a reputation of all of his goodness and all of his greatness and all of his majesty the God who has a reputation of all the, ma the, 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 the magnificent blessings that he's poured into your life. If we were to tell the stories today of all of the good that God has done in your life, that's his reputation. He said, I'll make myself of no reputation. He said, who be in the form of God? What an interesting word. 
I think Paul used interesting words, and I think he used them with intention when he was writing to the church in Philippi. Who being in the form of God. What does this word form mean? If you go down and you dig into the root of this word form, it means the external appearance. Has any man seen God? According to the Old Testament and the law, no man can see God and live. For his glory and his majesty are beyond the capacity of our humanity to recognize and see and be in the presence of. This is why when Moses asked to look upon God, God said, you can't look at me, Moses. But I'll put you in the cleft of a rock. I'll put my hand over you. I'll walk past you. And you can look out. And you can't look at my face, but you can look at me as I've passed by. You can look at the backside of me. And just that small experience with God, Moses came out on the mountain and his face glowed so much from being in the past presence of God. But the people said, Moses, we got to cover your face with the shroud. we got to put something over you. You're blinding us, man. No man can see God. There's a, a theological word called a theophany. There are, are manifestations of God in the Old Testament, theophanies. Angels, men, people. Abraham saw a theophany of God. Other Old Testament patriarchs had visitations from angels or men. Jacob wrestled with an angel. These were theophanies. These were God manifesting himself in, in ways that could interact with humanity. But these theophanies were not sent to redeem mankind. They were sent simply as an expression of God for the situation in which they were in, oftentimes to deliver a message. Jesus Christ is more than a theophany. Jesus Christ is all of God manifested in flesh, come to live with us and among us and to die for us. So when you looked on Jesus, you seen the external appearance of God. Here's what Colossians 2.9 said. For in him, talking about Jesus, dwelled all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I don't know if my pastor coined the phrase or not. He probably did. He's pretty, pretty sharp. But he's the first person I heard say it. When you look at Jesus Christ, you're looking at the selfie of God. You don't have to look for something else. You don't have to look for something bigger. You don't have to look for something greater. You don't have to look for something more. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And this God manifested in flesh, who was in the form of God, the external appearance of God, come and lived among us. And he did not see it as robbery to be equal with God. What does this word equal mean? This equal means it comes from the root to perceive with your senses. So what your senses experience in Jesus Christ is experiencing God. When you walk into the house of God, 
You feel the presence of God. That's what it's like to be in the presence of Jesus. When Jesus was walking down the street and the lady touched him and virtue flew or flowed out of his body. What she felt as a healing touch on her body is the same thing you feel when the presence of God sweeps over you and a healing touch sweeps through you. When you bow your knee and you begin to repent, it's not just some emotional experience of a man named Jesus Christ and some mental exercise that's going on. There's a spiritual act happening. You feel the very presence, the very love, the grace of Almighty God surrounding you. What you sense in your flesh is more than just Jesus Christ around you. It is God with you. It is Emmanuel. God with us. Man, I'm thankful that Jesus came. I'm thankful that Emmanuel is the reason for the season. We've talked for a moment here about Jesus being with us and because of Christ we have Christmas. But have you ever thought in your mind, what would happen if there was no Christ in Christmas? Well, we live in a society that'd love to take Christ out of Christmas. How many generations are we into now where we can't even say the word Christmas without somebody getting offended? Here's kind of my rule. They're going to get offended if I say Merry Christmas. And then somebody else will get offended if I don't say Merry Christmas. And I believe in Christmas. So I'm saying Merry Christmas. If someone's going to get offended anyway, then I'm going to represent Christ. I'm going to say Merry Christmas. Because I celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. But if Christ hadn't come, if we had a Christless Christmas, what would we have? Well, our society's already given it to us. You'd have a holiday. And if we borrowed that word holiday from our European friends, you'd just simply have time off. There'd be no meaning behind it. There'd be no practice behind it. There'd be no sacredness to it. There'd be no holy cause or, or reverence to it. It would just simply be a time off. Simply be a vacation day or week. It'd simply be holiday. Let's take a moment. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's compare the then and now of what it would mean if there was no Christ in Christmas. If there was no Christ in Christmas, there would have been no angelic proclamation of good tidings and great joy. I like good tidings, and I like great joy. If you're going to tell me a story, tell me a good one. If you're going to tell me a story, tell me one that has a good ending. I'm not really big in the fiction, but if I'm going to read a story... I don't want a story where everybody dies in the last paragraph. I want a story that has, it goes and it gets to the high point of the story and then there's the resolution to the conflict and at the end of the story, everybody lived happily ever after. Good tidings of great joy and that's the story of Jesus Christ. 
Yes, we have conflict. Yes, we have chaos. Yes, we have struggle. Yes, we have brokenness and addiction. Yes, there is conflict in our story. And it gets to an apex at one point in our life. But there's a resolution to the conflict. Jesus Christ, the good news, the gospel is the resurrection to the conflict. And the end of your story is, and they lived happily ever after, forever and ever and ever with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, my addiction may have held me down. Yes, my past sin may have had guilt and shame in my life. But when I surrendered to the good news, the great tidings, I accepted the joy of the Holy Ghost in my life. I became a new creature in Christ. I had a new hope and a new promise. Luke 15 and 7 tells us there's joy in heaven over just one who repents. There are many people across the globe who have already repented today because they're further in their day than we are. I wonder what heaven does on Friday night. You guys, get all the party poppers out. Get all the streamers ready. Sunday's coming. And when the timeline flips... And they start having church on the other side of the globe while we're still asleep. And people start repenting. Heaven throws a party. And the party runs all day long. Because as time goes, church starts on the next continent and the next continent. And everybody's repenting and repentance is happening. And every time one person repents, the party starts all over in heaven. You want to make heaven go crazy? Repent. Repent. The good news is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. If there was no Christ at Christmas, there would be no shepherds who heard the first birth announcement and see the Christ As a baby. Shepherds gathered their sheep on the mountainside outside of the city of Bethlehem. And as they're sitting there gathering together, bedding down for the night. Some history history and and cultural reading says that they would put the sheep in the middle and the shepherds would kind of form bunk pallets around the outside. Kind of circle around the sheep to have them inside of them while they would go to bed. and I could see them all laying down and, and one's yelling across the sheep over the other. You good on that side? Oh, we're good over here. All right, we're good over here. It's, the sun's been set for a bit. We're, we're going out, catching the sunrise. About the time he snuggles in and fluffs up that rock for a pillow, a bright light comes shining out of the heavens. The angels declare a child is born, a savior is come. And they give them directions. You'll find this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then the angel which made the proclamation, the heavens expand even further. 
And a whole host of angels are there. And we get the first Christmas carol ever sung by angels. Hosanna! God reveals himself not to the high-minded or to the proud, but God simply reveals himself to those who are poor in spirit and humble. He said in Matthew 5 and 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hear me today. If you're in a place of lowness, if you're on the outside of town and you feel like you're bedded down in the darkness of the night, hear me today. Jesus will come to you. An announcement will come to you. And it's coming to you right now. There is hope and promise for you. You don't have to live in darkness. You can see the light in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your darkest moments, God will reveal himself to you. And that is when you know God is God. You can't argue with a person who has experienced God. Philosophers, educators, intellects can sit in rooms and they can consume the Bible as a textbook, and they can argue over every small, minute detail. But you take one person who's experienced the presence of God. You take one person who was in darkness and has been brought into the light. You take one person who was lost and has been found. You take one who was broken and has been healed. You take one who lived in chaos and now has peace. It doesn't matter what an intellect says. It doesn't matter what a philosopher says. It doesn't matter what a teacher says. They've experienced the hand of Almighty God and they know without a shadow of a doubt in my darkest moment God came to me this is why there's a Christ in Christmas if there was no Christ in Christmas there would be no star leading those who seek the king there'd be no guide to lead us through our earthly pilgrimage the Bible says we are just strangers and pilgrims in this earth. We've changed our address. We've changed our residence. We've got a forwarding address now. You used to send me spiritual mail to this place on earth, some dead-end alley. But no longer does my spiritual mail go to a dead-end alley. I have a mansion on the streets of gold. I'm seeking a place that is not here. We are like Abraham. We're seeking a city whose builder and maker is God. We're seeking a place that's literally out of this world. How do we find it? Will you let me extrapolate a little bit today? What is a star? What is a star? It's just a burning, massive ball of fire in the universe. What is the fire that burns inside of us and said it would be our comfort, it would be our leader, it would lead us and guide us into all truth. If you want to find Jesus, you need the fire to lead you. And the fire that will lead you to Jesus is his spirit. He said, you will be filled 
What did John say? Here comes one whose shoes I'm not even worthy to unlatch. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. On the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost fell... There was like cloven times, like as of fire that set upon each of them. John the Baptist's prophecy was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, and the fire's still burning today. The fire's still burning today. It still excites us. It still thrills us. It still gets us going. Hey, there's a hope. There's a promise. There's a fire. There's a light that's guiding me. I'm going to follow the star all the way till I find Jesus. If you're seeking Jesus, just follow His Spirit. His Spirit will lead you right to Him. If there was no Christ in Christmas, there'd have been no star. And if there was no star, there would have been no wise men. Wise men who came bearing gifts. Each day God's triumphantly gives good gifts and blessings to his children. We must be careful. We must be mindful. We must be intentional to remember that every good thing comes from above. Your breath today came from God above. Your mode of transportation to get to church today came from above. The clothes that you're wearing came from God above. The job you get to work this week came from God above. Every blessing comes from God above. Be, no, be sure and know not to forget His blessings. He daily loadeth us with blessings. Don't dismiss the everyday in your life. And the greatest gift from God. His love. His love to us. Are you playing today? Alright, come. The Christ in Christmas is not a marketing tool. The Christ in Christmas is not propaganda. The Christ in Christmas is not to motivate sell or buyers to buy more. It's not to create an environment where sellers can sell more. The Christ in Christmas is not the commercialization of Christmas. No, if you remove Christ from Christmas, that commercializes it. But the Christ in Christmas is Emmanuel. God with us. He is our eternal hope. And if you remove Christ from Christmas, you lose a nativity, you lose a baby, you lose, you lose the miracles, you lose God manifested in flesh. And so I'll keep Christ in Christmas because Emmanuel is with us. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.